Hi, my name is James Andrella, and you are listening to the Back to Human podcast. Today, the topic will be something that is probably one of my favorite things on the planet. If you've been following me on social media for any period of time, you would know that I am a huge fan of raw milk. I actually have some next to me today. I'll be consuming it during the show. And today I have a special guest on the show, whom I, someone whom I consider would be the expert in this area. I have Mark McAfee. Did I pronounce that correct again? Yeah, Mark we. McAfee. Good enough. McAfee. <laughs> I've been called far worse. It's okay. There we go. There we go. Mark <laughs> McAfee. He is the CEO and the founder of Organic Pastures Dairy, and he is also the founder of the Raw Milk Institute. So just going to jump right into this. And uh, Mark, how did you get your start in the raw milk world? I was a certified paramedic for 17 years. I was a medical educator for the Fresno County Health Department, taught paramedic medicine, and did everything you can imagine in the paramedic world. I was on a helicopter, rescue team, SWAT trained. I mean, the whole paramedic world, 24-hour shifts, 15,000 paramedic calls, delivering babies, heart attacks, gun shootings, the war in medicine, I was there. So I did that from when I was 20 to 37. Um, but when my grandparents passed away in the mid 90s uh, and left a thousand acres of prime agricultural land for my, my brothers and I, I was the only one that was actually interested in farming. My brothers had not been involved in farming. I'd been doing hobby farming all the while. Uh, I grew up on a farm. And so um, my, my, my dad was a farmer. I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave paramedic medicine. I've done that. Um, I'm not going to see any more. I've done it all 10 times. I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. Um, and we started uh, or, Organic Pastures Dairy, which is now called Raw Farm, by the way. Two years ago, we changed our name to, to Raw Farm. And a very insightful thing happened because I didn't know about raw milk. I knew I wanted to be consumer connected and I wanted to bring organic food to people. But the word organic was really kind of misleading because you can get organic milk that's highly processed. And that's not what I was all about. So we started Organic Pastures Dairy with the idea that we we're going to produce this great product for people. And I put up a website saying Organic Pastures Dairy is producing raw milk and selling its milk to be pasteurized at Organic Valley. But I was like in an ignorant daze about what really I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to do good things with, with milk and with dairy and with farm. Uh, here I am, this ex-paramedic coming in with a lot of health background and knowing medicine pretty well as pre-med, pre-med uh, certification and all that stuff. And so lo and behold, by doing that one step, I put a website up 1999, 2000, which is pretty early for websites. And people came to me and said, we want your milk raw. And I listened. They said, we want to milk raw because it's got all these things in it that are destroyed in pasteurization. And I listened and my wife listened. My wife got a master's degree in nursing and delivers babies. She's retired now, but so medicine meets, meets consumers that want raw. That's what happened. Um, and so we bottled up a bunch of our milk here at the dairy. I didn't even have a creamery, just selling our milk. I bottled it up by hand and put it in the back of a Suburban and drove it down to Los Angeles to a little place in Venice Beach called the garage, <laughs> which is kind of the speakeasy, moonshine, get your milk there. Raw milk was legal in California, but I didn't know that the world's largest raw milk dairy, the Altadena dairy, had just gone out of business and sold to Suiza and Dean's Foods. So raw milk had stopped production in May of 1999, and I didn't know it. 
And here I come onto the market with organic milk that's being sold to be pasteurized, but I'm close to LA. I'm two and a half hours away. And I'm the closest organic dairy. And people say they want it raw. So I take this milk down to LA. I take a couple hundred gallons, a couple half gallons, 100 half gallons of milk and ice chest down to LA in our suburban and drove into this back alley. Now, if you can picture this with me, this is really transformational to me. It, it almost makes me cry. I drive into this alley and we drive in really slowly because there's like 100 people or more just crowding the space. It's just crowded. And they're all cheering. They're all cheering like the UN just dropped bags of rice in starving Somalia, right? And here we are driving in. And before I could stop the vehicle, people had opened the back of the Suburban, opened the ice chest, started throwing $10 and $20 bills into the car, grabbing raw milk and saying, thank you, come back next week. Wow. Well, that was a transformational moment for my wife and I who didn't know these people from anybody. Here we are, farmers from Fresno, and coming into LA, and these people are just kissing us and crying and screaming and yelling and just going crazy. And there was some interesting thing that happened because a gal, a gal came in to, a little late, and she says, "I have to have this milk because I have a child that has a a seizure disorder, and this raw milk with its butter, its fats helps keeps that seizure in in, in control." And I, we didn't know about that. I kind of put two and two together as a paramedic, but I didn't really understand the physiology of raw fats and anti-inflammatory compounds, all that stuff that I know now. And uh, all the milk was gone. And here's this woman crying to my wife saying, I've got to have this milk. So my wife went to this gal who grabbed 10 and said, you're going to give three of these back and gave her back her money, some of her money, and gave the milk to this woman who was crying for her daughter's life. And I said, we'll be back next week. So we got back in our Suburban and we, I don't know how many thousands of dollars we had layered all over the car with empty ice chests. And we left and we said, what the hell just happened? And so we had a four hour talk on the way home. And we said, these people want something from us. And we have an obligation as good human beings to do something about this. And there's a market opportunity that's completely unsatisfied. And let's get a permit from the state of California. Let's do this now. And we did. We, we got a permit right away. We built a small creamery with some reefer vans. And we started diverting milk from our contract with Organic Valley and started bottling it. And um, within a year, we had a million dollars in sales in all the Whole Foods and stuff in L.A., through a local distributor was the actual guy that was running the, the Venice Beach uh, garage there. He actually worked as our distributor for the first few months and started things off. And then we started doing it ourselves. But that was the beginning of my raw milk experience. Since then, that's 22 years ago, I have become a tenacious student at the genomic level of raw milk. And I, sp I spent a lot of time with the UC Davis researchers that study breast milk. And I know enough to get myself in a lot of trouble, let's put it that way, uh, in terms of the knowledge about what makes milk this incredible matrix of life. It's the first food of life that built immune systems when one didn't exist before in a newborn baby when it's born. Um, and the pressures, the generational pressures that for the last 200,000, 300,000 years, you pick your number, have created this more and more successful food to keep the youngest, most, uh, most insecure, most vulnerable uh, babies to thrive. And that's the first food of life uh, with all of its antibodies and raw fats and bacterial diversity and uh, enzymes that are completely alive and vital and mineral availability and uh, all these carbohydrates, extremely complex carbohydrates, oligosaccharides that only feed bad bugs and, and, and starve good bugs. I mean, only feed good bugs and starve bad bugs. All this crazy stuff created by something way stronger than our brains in terms of the generational pressures of ecology and, e and evolution that uh, mammals thrive on with milk from their mothers. 
So that all said, I've been the only farmer that's attended. I think one or two years, other farmers have attended. But for the most part, I've been the only farmer that's attended the International Milk Genomics Consortium conferences all over the world. I've been to Aarhus, Denmark. I've been to Australia twice. I've been all over the United States at these conventions with 150 150 or more PhDs that study breast milk and raw milk. And I'm the farmer. They're going, tell me more and asking stupid questions. And they love the questions I ask because they're so real. These PhDs are so, so smart to stupid because they're, they're, their information is so deep and so narrow and they know nothing about the rest of the world. They know everything about this really deep, but they don't know about the rest of reality. And I know about the rest of reality, asking questions about how their knowledge pertains to the rest of reality. And it's extremely exciting for these people to hear a farmer say, but what about this? And, and they're all saying secretly, we hate pasteurization. It screws up all the good stuff. So the secrets of science come through when you get to know these people, when they say, a hungry mouth cannot freely speak. That's a quote. Hmm. When they say, we'll lose our grant if we start talking to you, buddy. We love what you're doing. In fact, some of us even consume your products, but we can't go there because we lose our grant. That's the world I live in, which is driven by consumers, hated by the FDA, because they represent the processors. We bypass that whole thing. And so but we're constantly being beat on the FDA. But the thing is, is that I said this many times, this great quote, you know, they may have the guns and the money, but I got the truth in the moms. Yeah. And it's really true because if the science is behind you, mammalian evolution is behind you, you understand the food safety, you understand the genomics and you understand everything about the value and virtue and beauty of raw milk. Um, and you understand how it connects to people and how they really thrive on it. Consumers love you passionately because of the change in their lives. And you probably know about this, yeah. but if you could concentrate on that and ignore all the other pressures, the FDA and all these processors that hate your guts, and just concentrate on the good of people, you win. And that's what we do. We ignore all the background noise and focus on people and food safety. And in California, we're very blessed. Uh, you're unfortunate down in Florida. Yeah, I think you can sell it as pet food in some stores. But the bottom line is, in California, it's legally 100% legal. It's just strict to be, to be done. And as long as you understand those strict standards and you execute excellently, you do great. We become masters at doing that. So that's my long-winded answer to what got me going on raw milk. And now I'm a passionate, passionate pioneer as well as leader of other farms all together as a community, building a community, nourishing humanity. It's great stuff. Holy crap, man. That's, uh, that's like a movie. Oh, in fact, in fact, there is a movie producer in L.A. looking right now for funding to put this into a movie because he loves the raw milk and he's connected all the movie stars in L.A. and they all drink raw milk. Julia Roberts is all over it. Uh, Patrick Dempsey's kids are drinking it at, at the ch their charter schools are going to. I mean, Martin Sheen and all those, uh, you know, you just name it. Uh, there's people in, in movies. It's our it's our biggest sales area is, is Hollywood, where they love it because it's it keeps them young. Keeps the wrinkles off their face. It's it's good for the gut. It's immune system building. It's delicious. I mean, we're we're thriving in COVID because of the fact that that raw milk is such a fantastic immune system building food. It's good for the microbiome. And uh, if your gut is strong, you generally do very well with any kind of pathogenic uh, viral invasion that might come along. The studies in Europe show that very clearly. It's interesting that the that those celebrities aren't really endorsing or maybe that I just don't see it. Um, hey, but, look up, look up. Uh, what's her name? Um, the race car driver, uh, Patrick. Uh, Annika Patrick. Annika. She supports the hell out of us. She loves it. Yeah, she doesn't live in California. She has a home here, but she's back and forth. She's a big endorser and supporter. She just had a big video that came out and supported what we're doing. Um, there are celebrity and uh, more of a blogosphere influencers 
and there's a bunch of them that have 50, 100, 200, 500,000 followers. Um, Tori Spelling, huge supporter, all free because her five little rugrats run around, totally happy and healthy on raw milk. Five kids, totally gorgeous, um, but used to have all kinds of issues with uh, frequent colds and this and that, and they don't have that anymore because raw milk's in their lives. So we do have a lot of um, celebrity endorsement, not all of them, but we know that they consume it through the back door. We know that they do that. Um, a lot of the, the celebrity managers don't want to give away their endorsements for free. So we have those that just come passionately over, overwhelmed by the fact that they've got to get involved because they love it so much. And that's the Tory Spelling version um, and the Danica Patrick and those that have come forward and just say, I love this stuff. You got to have it. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and um, how you were describing like your, the speakeasy type situation down here in Florida, as you mentioned, it, it's kind of hard to come by or it can be sold in stores as pet food. So when I purchase the raw milk down here, it is labeled not for human consumption. But yeah. you don't look human, buddy. You look like four legged. It's all good. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm an animal. <laughs> You're an animal. But, but it, it's amazing because I could totally imagine if only the public down here like knew what raw milk could do for you, then they would be storming at least the market that I go to, like they'd probably be out. They'd be out of the raw milk that's down here. There's no question that we have a saying around raw farm and around raw, raw milk Institute. I really believe this to be true that you don't sell raw milk. You teach raw milk. When people start to understand the innate and adaptive immune systems, the role that food plays, the role that uh, the diversity of bacteria and the food that feeds that bacteria in your gut, uh, and the fact that we've run into a kind of a, become a monoculture bacteria in our country and, and dominated by yeast because of sugar, uh, our guts are not well. And that brings on autoimmune diseases and allergies and leaky gut syndrome and just a litany of problems ending up with literally colonost uh, colostomies and, and Crohn's disease. I mean, that's kind of the culmination of it or death. And, and those that understand that you nourish your gut with good whole food that feed the diversity of good bacteria found in that food and other influences, um, and you know what? You start having a different life. You start having a different life that's resistant to most pathogens, not all, but most. It, it gives you a fighting chance to adapt and build antibodies. Uh, it allows you to become more elastic and adaptive and resilient uh, because your, your gut is working. Hippocrates said 2,400 years ago, he said, let food be your medicine and medicine be your food and all disease begins in the gut. You know, And, and it's really a true statement that modern science is just beginning to understand through the Human Genome Project and other things, there's in the Human Gut Project, the Human Microbiome Project, that show that diversity of bacteria and the food to feed it reduce inflammation big time. So if you have whole food nutrition and diversity of bacteria, that equals decreased inflammation in your body. And inflammation drives chronic infection and chronic disease processes. So chronic disease processes is really what's getting us in America. And that and shootings and, and trauma, that's not good either. But the bottom line is acute disease is generally not what's getting us. It's chronic uh, long-term disease, the diabetes and the obesity and, and the heart disease, the inflammation stuff that's driving that. If you get rid of that, you start living a lot healthier, a lot healthier. And you also have to get some sunshine, love, and a little exercise. That helps a lot too. But um, we're missing the whole food part. At least many parts of our society are. There are those that are uh, tuned up a little bit more and are connected more <clears throat> and are driven to have a healthy life that are starting to do this regardless of the uh, not available uh, food. They're, they're making it available. They're going out and finding it. Uh, in California, it's easy to find. It's 350 stores and top seller. It's doing great. <clears throat> Other states, um, 
it may or may not be a top seller. It may, may, may not be uh, effectively produced in enough to get it out there. And there's other states it's illegal in pet food or, or a herd share program. Uh, in Virginia, great example, illegal raw milk sales. The world's largest herd share program with over 1,400 members on one small dairy. That's a herd share program where the owners are actually the consumers and the dairymen's working for the consumers delivering the milk. And they're selling like crazy at $12, $14 a gallon. That's in Virginia where raw milk's illegal. So where there's a will, there's a way. And in America, we do have some freedoms, but at the same time, uh, the people that stand in the way of the freedom are generally the processors. So when you go to the legislature to try to change the law, guess who shows up? The processors in the FDA, not people, not people. People want it. It's yeah. the processors that want to keep their dominant market share, which is eroding, by the way, at 2 to 10%, depending on which markets you look at. Uh, where raw milk's going up like crazy at you know 10 to 20 to 30 percent depending on which market you're looking at our last look last last week our sales in la were 38 percent higher than the previous week that same year uh, year ago so week over week year over year 38 percent increase in wholemale sales that's just huge it's it's almost unsustainable because we're having to really grow and do some dynamic things to keep feeding people but that's the beauty of what's going on here is when people get educated they tell other people and the, the people say, this is great stuff. I don't have lactose intolerance with this. <clears throat> I've easily, it's easily digested. And it just becomes literally viral. I remember uh, as a kid growing up that anytime that I would consume dairy or even go to like the restaurants, the chain restaurants, and they would use the heavy creams, whatever it may be, I would be running to the bathroom right afterwards. And uh, honestly, I, I stumbled across the raw milk that I'm consuming now because a friend brought me to the, to a local farmer's market and something just told me to buy it. But at the time I didn't know the benefits of it. I kind of just drank it. And then it, it felt so good. that I was like, I want more and more and more, even though it was expensive at the time, I honestly could not afford it. It's not cheap. It's not cheap, but it represents true value to the farmer and true value to the consumer. And that's a, that's an honest relationship. Uh, the, the benefits of raw milk are very interesting. They're very broad. Um, you know, when you think about Hippocrates saying that all disease begins in the gut, well, if you straighten your gut out, all diseases are affected more or less in, other, in some people more than others, depending on what their physiological makeup is. But the bottom line is very good for the immune system. Uh, it allows you to build antibodies in, in response to lots of different kinds of bacteria and viruses found in raw milk at low levels. So your body's exposed to many, many different things that are micro stressors which builds your immunity to a broad range of things found in your environment. Fantastic, very adaptive. Versus pasteurized milk, which is basically sterilized, not completely, but mostly, uh, which the bacteria have been obliterated. They've been basically lysed and the, their internal cell contents exploded out of them by heat. And though that, that becomes foreign protein in your body that your body just says, get it out of here. That's allergic. It's not something I'm used to seeing. It's not normal. Um, uh, there's a raw whey protein found in raw milk. The raw whey protein actually stabilizes mast cells. Mast cells are where histamines come from. So the whole allergy response is mediated and reduced because mast cells are stabilized. So that's one of the functions, that's one of the ways that raw milk is anti-inflammatory. There's the enzyme alkaline phosphatase, which is carried mostly on the butterfat cell. And that, uh, that enzyme has been found to be very anti-inflammatory directly. In fact, it's been studied in Europe it has to do with the, uh, the whole French paradox where raw cheese 
uh, was found a few years ago to be a really big part of uh, why the, the French have so little uh, chronic disease uh, for those that eat that diet, the Mediterranean diet. It's the red wine, they say a little bit, but mostly the two and a half or three pounds of raw cheese consumed per week that includes this alkaline phosphatase enzyme, which is mostly missing in our diets because everything is completely pasteurized except for raw. So there's some incredible mother nature's blueprints and secrets in this food we're talking about here that have very, very, very important values to human, to human health. Um, allergies are reduced, asthma is reduced, ear infections are reduced, fevers are reduced in children. All this is backed up by big studies that are found at the CDC and NIH website, which is right there in, our, in the middle of our world, right there, Club, Club, PubMed. PubMed is the scientific Bible. It's there. The FDA will not let me speak of it, except I can do it in first, first world with you because I'm using my First Amendment rights. Thank God I at least got that a little bit. But the bottom line is I can't go out and put this published out on websites and stuff because they say you're making medical claims. And that's creating, quote, a new drug because in their world, their regulatory world, they created a regulatory regime in which anything that claims a cure must be considered a new drug. So only drugs cure. And so if I come out and say raw milk reduces asthma, I've created a new drug and I'm subject to sanction because I haven't gone through a $100 million study with the FDA for their approval to say yes. And they won't say yes because they're, they're bed partners with big processors that absolutely can't make that claim. So this is people. This is about people saying enough and we have to keep the peace enough until we're strong enough when we say, get out of the way because we're in charge. The bottom line is people are driving this through market share uh, uh, claiming and dollar voting and supporting their farmers. Yeah, I've always felt that the that this change definitely needs to come from the consumer and where you're putting your dollar because you dictate the market. If there's no demand for the pasteurized dairy, then guess what? That kind of goes away. And now everyone's slipping over towards raw milk. But I definitely think that one of the biggest hurdles here is the education aspect or the fact that a lot of people have received a lot of misinformation and it starts from a very, very, very young age over here. I remember going to elementary school and then kept the, the breakfast line. They give you that. I thought it was like rat milk back in the day. I remember joking with my friends, but like the pasteurized chocolate milk and the kids are just consuming this from a young age and the parents don't know any better. No. So, and the, the marketing too. So I, I know that you mentioned that you were initially uh, selling to Organic Valley, correct? Correct. So you have the marketing terms, which would be organic. However, that's just like the big stamp on the front of it, but people need to read the fine print and realize that that pasteurized stuff, which is sold in many of the supermarkets is probably doing more harm than good for you. And I know that you just said that the raw milk is anti-inflammatory, but a lot of people will get the recommendations from their physicians saying that they need to cut out all dairy because it is correct inflammatory. And they don't know the word or uh, they don't know the difference between organic and pasteurized and all that stuff kind of is a blur to them because they don't receive any training or education of that in medical school whatsoever. And so you have to dig deeper to understand that organic is a production practice on the farm, but it doesn't really drive what happens at a processor. They're using conventional processing practices for the organic milk that gets to the, to the processor. They're cooking the living hell out of it. Even higher temperatures get longer shelf life. So it's obliterated. It's completely denatured and destroyed. So all the organicness, all of the biological activity of it that was wonderful on the farm is now destroyed. So the organicness of it, the life of it, the bio of it is really pretty much decimated. 
Um, and then it's also homogenized and standardized and everything else. So the rawness, which is the, the living part, the, the enzymes and the, the proteins that are not denatured and all the building blocks, the amino acids, fatty acids, all these things that are changed by homogenization and pasteurization are fully intact. We often say, why would you, would you ever, ever take a blood transfusion of a pasteurized blood? Would you ever think about, you know, having pasteurized blood injected? You know, it would kill you. So the bottom line is the same kind of thing with raw milk is it's literally a fluid coming from an, a mammal's body into yours and it needs to stay in its purest form. And when I say pure, I mean clean and living and whole and active uh, and biologically intact. And if you do that, it has an, a genomic effect on your body, big time. That's very, very powerful. And it scares the living hell out of the FDA and processors because they can't follow us without paying farmers a lot more and without being honest to the farmers and without actually speaking of the human genome project and the human gene, uh, the microbiome project was talking about bacterial activity and how the bacteria shell that uh, they, they share at the genomic level, the cellular level, the genome data, the DNA gets shared between bacteria and human cells back and forth like crazy. They don't wanna talk about that. Even though we spent $4 billion to discover that back in 2000, um, you know, four, took 12 years to figure that out. And by the way, the Human Genome Project was not, not done by the NIH. Hmm. It was done by the DOE, the Department of Energy. There was some activity from other universities, but uh, it was done as an investigation to find out what happens with soldiers on submarines near nuclear uh, uh, reactors and submarines. They were concerned about the genome, the genomics, the DNA of soldiers and sailors. And then there was medical interest. But the bottom line is, they found out that, yeah, there's 23,000 genes from mom and dad. That's true. That's what makes the shape of your body. That's what makes you look like you. But the function of your body, literally 95%, there's argument whether it's 70% or 99%, there's people arguing back and forth, is actually the genome is fulfilled by the bacteria that's transmitted in birth, uh, the birth canal, uh, transferred by bacteria uh, coming from mom's breast milk, uh, the environment you're in, the food you eat, the food that you eat and the supporting what kind of bacterial life in your gut, all those things and the bacteria you have in your body complete your genome. So the 23,000 is literally a trace amount. It's 5% of what you are genomically. And the best of it is completed by the environmental exposure you have internally and externally in this life. That's very uncomfortable for people to understand when you are making money on selling antibiotics. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. The more antibiotics you have, the more decimated your immune system is. And we know this from antibiotic-resistant infections killing people. We know that the most disrupted thing that's happened in medicine in the last 25 years has been fecal transplants. In fact, you've got somebody in an ICU that's going to die for sure in the next 24 hours from uh, C. diff, Clostridium difficile. And what do you know? The doctor says, I'm going to get creative here. And he gets a fecal sample, a, a big old bunch of poop from a healthy nurse who's eating well and exercising in great shape, puts it in a blender with sterilized saline and flushes the lower gut with it. And that 92% of the people thrive and survive and they're going to die. Mm. That is really disruptive to the fact that medicine has been focused so much on what can we kill or cut out to make things healthy versus what we can eat to change the biome. And we're very early in, in how we can actually do better with this. But I'm just saying the radical pioneering thought 
that in fact, feces will save lives by, by completely flushing the lower gut and displacing all those pathogens that are in there because you killed them all with antibiotics and you made this mess and actually flushing it with a healthy fecal biome that actually resets your clock a little bit and saves your life. Wow. Uh, I often say, you know, think of your, your mom and dad is giving you hardware, but the bacterial world and viral world gives you the software. And that's what drives us because without your software, you actually become autoimmune messed up and you actually get all kinds of problems. So make sure your software is running properly by consuming whole food nutrition and preserving your gut to drive your, your health. It's really important. That's just a foundational, fundamental thing. Yeah, on top of that exercise and sunshine and, and a good mindset and emotions and love and all the other things, and you're going to be in good shape. But that's not where America is right now. We're, we're way off that track. No, it's funny. Uh, everyone's so focused on everything being sterile. Yeah. yeah. Like, they want everything to be super clean. And granted, obviously, you don't want like sewage or anything in your raw milk or in your drinking water, but that's good for shelf life, but it's not good for gut life. Yeah. And that's a processor's dream versus a consumer's need. Um, and the farmers that start listening to consumers start talking about what the consumers need. Cause that's what they're told they need. Cause the farmers connect the consumers. The processors don't listen to that. They're listening to throughput and shelf life. They're not really looking at the consumer too much cause it's too uh, inconvenient. It's too hard to say, I don't know how I can address that need. So I'm going to stick with shelf life. How do I have a, a biologically diverse food that's whole and unprocessed when I'm collecting milk from hundred different dairies and God knows what is coming in there. I got to cook the hell out of it. <clears throat> that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit their model. Their battleship can't change course. It's stuck going this way and it's got billions of dollars invested in going this way. It can't move over this way. That's why I feel so darn happy that my market is really protected because anybody that would want to take it would have to say everything they do is wrong. And they have to then take on a new world. And I've talked to the big processors and said, you're really safe, buddy. We can't even touch you. Job security right there. Pretty cool stuff, yeah. So how did the whole pasteurization process even start up then? Why did it begin? Great question, James. In the 1880s, let's think about it. People love their cow and their goat to get milk from in the 1700s, 1600s. In fact, the stories about Jamestown in the 1600s said that you had a musket and a cow or you died. Everybody had a cow. Cows are everywhere because you could have milk today. You didn't have to hunt fish. You had milk today and old milk became cheese. And that was just part of America in its beginnings. The Indians didn't do that, but they ate organ meat and did some other things. But young pioneers, young, young uh, pilgrims, uh, young people coming to America brought cows with them and had cows and had muskets and they hunted and fished and they especially used raw milk and they had raw milk to make cheeses and kefirs. That was part of the American uh, new, you know, coming from Europe. That was very much part of the European experience, but they were doing that on the farm. They're doing that with fresh, clean water going down a stream nearby. And they had plenty of grass to feed the, the animal. So they had good environment. They could adapt well to that. And their bodies were not out of sync with it. They were part of it. They were living in that dirt. Now, you get New York, Philadelphia, growing up with millions of people living there, and you get people moving from the farm to the middle of the, 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 the big metropolises, and they bring their cow with them. Hmm. Well, what's that cow going to eat? They didn't have anything to eat. They just made a crappy mess. They pooped all over the place, peed all over the place, ate all the pasture that was there, and made a mud hole. And what was being made in those downtown cities was a lot of whiskey and wine, you know, whiskey and breweries 
And so they started feeding brewers distillers grains to these cows and the cows ate okay. And they produced a little bit of milk, but it was unsanitary. The cows are skinny and ugly. And the, and the people that were drinking, we were making the milk were, uh, were, the, were, you know, had all kinds of problems in cells, including tuberculosis, brucellosis was rampant, uh, smallpox, yellow fever. It was a mess in these areas which didn't have sunshine and grass and clean water and no flushing toilets. She so had a sanitary, disgusting hole. And people were dying from raw milk all over the place. They were dying from other things too, because the water quality was horrendous. So what we had was the milk problem in these downtown areas. This has happened in 1870s, 1880s, 1890s. So a guy named Coit, C-O-I-T, was a doctor. He lost a son. He was a pediatrician. He lost a son to raw milk. He said, we're going to fix this. Raw milk's wonderful, but it's got to come from clean dairies. So we actually started the American Association of Medical Milk Commissions, the AAMMC. And for 100 years, that organization thrived. It thrived. In, in fact, Altadena, that dairy in Los Angeles, was the last dairy to be certified by the AAMMC that started in 1893. At that same time, a guy by the name of Levi Strauss, or not Levi, it was another name, Strauss, brought in the parboiler, which was a form of pasteurization from France, where they were using it to uh, help assist making yeast with uh, beers and wines and stuff, it would, it would create sugar by pasteurization and eliminates bacterial competition when we make alcohol. And they used that. They didn't use it for pasteurization in France. They brought it into New York and started cooking this milk. And what do you know, overnight, 90% fewer people died. People still died because the water quality was still horrible. But it was an easy way to render filthy milk to be relatively safe. It worked. So why would you worry about the quality of water, quality of the cow's health, quality of, uh, of whatever, and at higher expense when you have to go out of town to some places clean and green, and you have to chill that milk or it became sour overnight, versus just cook the hell out of the dirty stuff. And that's what happened. And that's a, a part of the true story that the, the raw milk became more expensive and more rare, and it was being taken to the Mayo Clinic to heal people. It was really a very virtuous food. And then you had the cooked milk, which was consumed by people because it was cheap and readily available. And that went on and on and on until about 1945. 1945, we didn't have any money. World War II had just passed. America had just beat the Germans. And uh, we were, we fixed the social problem with the nuclear bomb. And we were, DDT was good for your skin and smoking was good for your health. It was good for your lungs. That's where crazy 1945 was. And so... We didn't really think about the, the gut microbiome. We didn't think about food. We, we just talked about cheap food and readily available and uh, plant more and get bigger, get out, all those kinds of policies, food in America. And so raw milk is not on the top of the shelf to talk about. It was pasteurized, bigger dairies, uh, ease of transportation, uh, longer shelf life, all that great stuff and commercial exploitation of cows. And so you have bigger and bigger dairies, fewer and fewer small dairies, and pasteurization became dominant because it was a perfected technology in terms of rendering milk, which was unsafe, to be relatively safe. And that's where we end up today, where you've got these massive, massive dairy co-ops with uh, dairies with five to 10,000 cows each. They don't worry about quality that much. They sell their milk, which includes pathogens, by the way, to a processor who kicks, cooks it really, really high temperatures, which renders it not the health food that it is in raw form. And you get long shelf life. You put a national brand on it like Horizon or whatever you want. And you don't have liability because it's not going to cause people to get sick because of bad bugs. They get sick because it triggers allergies. It's hard to digest. It's inflammatory. Uh, the number one most allergenic food in America at the FDA website, look it up, most allergenic food, pasteurized milk, number one. Raw milk is not. It's the exact opposite. So you've taken this incredibly fantastic food when produced in a clean environment with natural conditions, with clean water and healthy cows, and you've rendered it to be pretty much kind of inert. 
and inflammatory and hard to digest as a long shelf life, highly processed food. That is not raw milk. Raw milk is almost exactly the opposite at every trigger point. When you look at all the elements found in raw milk, they're all changed. So it's not really gut compliant. Uh, raw milk is, is a, a, a fantastic food of life. Uh, it's the the product of million, a million years or hundreds of thousands, if not a million years of evolutionary pressures to optimize that next food for the next generation to assure that it's going to thrive and survive. And it gives everybody of every uh, state in life, every age in life, some value, uh, whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged or whether you're young, uh, bone strength, uh, dental, dental stuff, uh, uh, gingivitis, Crohn's disease, allergies, asthma, diabetes, obesity, metabolic uh, syndrome. I mean, you name it. Autism has a tremendous, uh, the gut-brain connection is a really positive effect. Uh, colds, uh, viruses, uh, I'm not going to be so brave to say it prevents COVID because I have no idea, but I do know this. It's very antiviral. Uh, in the studies done in Europe, it shows that kids that consume raw milk have a much decreased incidence of getting the flu. Well, guess what? COVID is a flu, a, a flu type. So I don't know what the science is ever going to show on that or whether we can separate that group to look at that uh, whole thing. But I do know this. It's part of a strong immune system. So here we are. Uh, we're here at odds with the processors that basically want to run the show. And farmers are saying, nope, I want to serve community. I want to take care of humanity. So I'm a little, I'm a little bit passionate. I'm sorry. No, I, I love it. I love it. I've heard some of your previous stuff and I knew you were really lively. So I was really excited <laughs> to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, so I actually know, I believe it was you, that you sent a letter to the CDC. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you ever get a, resp uh, a response from that? No. No. <clears throat> they, uh, they go on and on. If you, you, you Google raw milk, the first couple of things that come up because they paid for their positions with Google uh, is a CDC NIH warning, don't consume raw milk. Yeah. They talk about pathogens and this and that and the other thing. They don't talk about raw milk at a state level where it's legal to be produced. And what we, they don't talk about Bax PCR, which is a rapid test for pathogens. And we can determine within 18 hours what bad bacteria there. And if it's there, you don't sell it. They don't talk about the scientific advances we have to assure that those with uh, immune systems that are compromised are not going to get sick. They're going to get healthy. We haven't had a pathogen issue in our dairy in 12 years. We did have some initially. And they were a big wake-up call to me. And I was like, whoa, that's not part of the plan. What the hell? And I, I, I literally, we wrote award-winning uh, ramp plans and HACCP plans and engaged all kinds of technology to figure out what really was going on. You know, what we found out was very interesting. Most of those bad bacteria, like E. coli, came from cows that just gave birth to their calves. Mm. And so, you know what? We didn't put those cows in our herd until 30 or 40 days later, and we tested them twice. We haven't had a problem since. We test every, all batches of milk every day. And we don't let fresh cows get into our milk herd for another, you know, three or four weeks. And we do multiple testing there just to assure. And once or twice a year, we get a positive. That's enough to shut you down if you really don't know what you're doing. That's once or twice a year out of 750 milkings. So it's a very, very small level thing. But we take care of it down to that level to assure it never pops its head up. We spend $15,000 a month just on testing alone to assure we have concrete assurance that our risk is ultimate low, really, really low. And as a result, it's so low that... Uh, you can't find it. It's not there. And, and there's four things that are, excuse me, three things required to get sick. One, a pathogen must be present. It's got to be viral. It's going to be virile. It's got to be a bad, it's going to be a badass bacteria. 
Number two, if there's gonna be a level of them, there's gonna be a, a mass of them, a group of them, a load of them high enough to trigger illness in you. And three, the host, that's the human consumer, must have a weakened immune system and not immune to it. So if those three things don't line up, you don't get sick. So the goal here is have a strong immune system, have your pathogen levels at zero and never have a load of them, and nobody ever gets sick, they get healthy. So the bacteria you do find in raw milk are the beneficial good yogurt-like bacteria and a diversity of them. And that's what you really becomes a fortification against bad bacteria that can't get a hold of you and make you sick. Yeah. Going back to what we were saying about um, like being sterile and everyone taking antibiotics and it just seems like people are afraid of germs and bacteria. Um, and it also comes down to what the cow is actually eating too, because whatever the cow is feeding on, it's going to be in the breast milk. So uh, wouldn't it, aren't people getting sick as well from the cows either getting antibiotics or hormones, stuff like that. And then even if you pasteurize it, wouldn't that still be in that milk as well? Correct. Uh, pasteurization does not eliminate antibiotics. Pasteurization does not eliminate hormones. It may change them slightly, but they come through in the milk. So you're right. You're right. Um, that's why it's a holistic approach. Yeah. You put your cows on pasture, you feed them supplemental feed, which don't have GMOs, don't have hormones, don't have antibiotics. And you prevent those by creating the right kind of conditions for the cow. Nutritional conditions, environmental conditions, the water quality, all those things go together. You have a cow that's really in good shape. She's coming in with a fairly clean udder because she's not laying down in her poop. She's in a dry environment. She's in pastures. she got sunshine with vitamin D. All those kinds of conditions and nutrition, all that stuff around the cow. So holistic approach to the cow. Cow gets in, you clean her udder really, really well. So all you're getting is clean raw milk coming out of the teat with no other factors being you know, in the milk uh, chain. And then that milk goes directly to a chiller, which drops that milk from 99 degrees to 34 degrees in literally less than a minute and a half. And so you've got really cold milk, which is stabilized with a biodiversity of beneficial bacteria at low levels, at low levels. It comes from the teat canal and that trace amount of, of influence you get from the environment that you can't do anything about it and you wouldn't want to do anything about it. It's there, but it's not pathogenic bacteria. Then you we, we, we that milk at five or 6,000 gallons at a time. We test that, back, uh, that milk by taking it off at a lab. 18 hours later, we get the data back. We say, good to go. We send that milk into our, our plant. We bottle it package it, put it on a truck, get out the store. Within two days, we got the milk in the store shelf. And it's got another 16 days to go before it starts to turn or become slightly sour. And because we're learning such low bacteria counts and the milk's cold, it's very stable. But if you let it get warm, it's going to grow like yogurt. And that's okay. It's a, it's a living food. But because we've been able to stabilize the milk early with cold chilling and keep that cold, um, you've got long shelf life. And it lasts another week and a half or two weeks in the consumer's refrigerator. And they just go back and buy once a week. And that's a, a routine that's, uh, that's works. And uh, that's, that really does take the risk out of raw milk. Uh, and all the benefits are still there. Um, and it's kind of a, a relationship we have with consumers where they know how to manage their milk. Uh, they know how to sour it and make it into other things that they want to. Uh, they can add some, some yogurt cultures in there and culture it and make kefir. Or they can buy our kefir. We make kefir. Um, they can buy raw cheese that's never been thermalized. It's been, uh, never been above 100 degrees. So it's got all these wonderful raw milk values still in it. It's not fake raw cheese. It's been cooked and they call it raw. That's, that's legal to do, by the way, which is a lie. Uh, it's really sad, but it's true. Because the, the definition of pasteurization is defined. It's when you get to 161 degrees in 15 to 20 seconds, you pasteurize. 
But if you don't own a pasteurizer, then it's raw. You could cook it up to 180, 200 degrees, and you could say it's raw. I don't have a pasteurizer license because pasteurization is actually regulated. So it's really a phony deal going on with how they, so we call our, our cheeses truly raw and define what exact that is, which is outside of the standard, but it retains the value uh, bacteriologically as far as the human genome is concerned and the bacteria in the gut that you need and all the elements. Um, we also make butter, which is 87% butter fat which carries that fantastic anti-inflammatory enzyme, alkaline phosphatase, and all the other wonderful things, the vitamin D and A and all that is found in the fat of, of milk. And what's interesting about that is really, really good for the brain. Uh, raw fats are critical for brain development. We know that from breast milk. Mm. Breast milk doesn't have pasteurized fats. It's got raw fats. And breast milk is very, very important for brain development. So enhancement of brain development and neuron development, because remember that neurons, the nerves are covered with Schwann cells, which are mostly cholesterol and fat. So those raw fats are really, really wonderful building blocks for the nervous system and the brain and the body. Um, the, the carbohydrates, uh, the sugars are specialized. Uh, lactose sugars are really, really important in terms of, of uh, uh, energy source. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on that the mother nature had this figured out a long time ago. And mankind came and screwed it all up by taking dirty milk that had a problem with pathogens. And that's true, it did. And it does. If it's conditions, it's water quality, it's all those other things that you're creating an environment around that cow where it has to be pasteurized because it's dirty. Uh, you got bad bugs and the, the farmers are not paid to have clean milk. They're paid to get a lot of milk out for cheap. And so why would they clean it up? They don't get, they're not getting paid for clean milk. They get paid for pounds of milk coming out of a cow, whether it's clean or not. So it's a completely paradigm shift to see that evolution between consumers looking to a processor versus a consumer looking to a farmer. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. So treat the environment. Uh, uh, I look at the environment of everything. Environment dictates behavior. So if you got a dirty environment, then that's probably going to lead to dirty results and dirty habits. So. Holistic approach. Look at the big picture. I totally agree. Yep. Happy cows, happy humans. You got it. You got it. You got it. So uh, I was actually going to get into that, but you kind of mentioned a little bit the pasteurization would also affect other dairy products besides milk. It would be the butter and the cheeses. And I don't think people kind of realize this, but when you go out to eat, the vast majority of the restaurants are not using raw cheeses. They're probably using the craft cheese or whatever's cheap and available to them. So I, I will, I will give a little bit of a tip to the hat, um, a little credit here. And that is when you pasteurize at lower temperatures, 160 degrees, and then you culture immediately. Okay. Uh, you add cultures like yogurt. Uh, cheeses are cultured. That where you add in some bacteria back into it, they generally have a much better digestibility and they're less inflammatory than those that are just strictly pasteurized and no culturizing. So a yogurt or a kefir, even if pasteurized, is far better than the pasteurized product because it's had life put back. It's had some CPR done on it. It's, it's recovered a little bit, not all, because the proteins are still completely obliterated. And there's other things that have happened, but you've added some life back into it, which actually creates some enzymatic activity and certainly biological activity. But it's fairly narrow because all you're doing is adding a couple of cultures when raw milk has maybe 100 different cultures. So uh, to, to a certain extent, I have to give a little credit to the culturing post-pasteurization, which is a very important step. So if you can't get raw milk, you're going to want to get milk, which is uh, temperature as low as possible processing that's been cultured. It's had like the kefir, uh, kefir culture is added back into it after pasteurization, which is an important step that makes it better than just 
killed off dead stuff. No, cool. I, I definitely appreciate you stepping in on that one. Yep. <laughs> so what about like things like butter? Like uh, there's the Land of Lakes type butter, the pat or even like Kerrygold. I'm pretty sure Kerrygold is pasteurized as well. Does they're that all, they're, as well? All, they're all pasteurized. Um, some have cult been uh, some of the butters have actually been cultured, which is great. Which means they take the raw cream, they add cultures to it. They they take raw milk, they pasteurize it, they spin mm -hmm. off the cream, they take that cream and they add cultures to it. They add back the. Uh, um, Lactococcus cremoris and lactobacillus and some other stuff in there, Thermopolis. And they put it in there and they allow it to ferment for a few hours to actually add some biological activity to it, which actually adds a lot of flavor, a lot of flavor. And then they put that in the butter churn and tumble it and they get the buttermilk off, which is gotten rid of. It's a lot of whey proteins and things like that. And then what you've got is mostly butterfat left over. And that, if it's cultured, is certainly better than if it's just straight pasteurized. Uh, but either way, you're missing the alkaline phosphatase enzyme, which is very anti-inflammatory, and other the vitamins have been depleted. So raw butter is not the same as pasteurized butter, but I would say cultured uh, pasteurized butter is certainly better than pasteurized butter because you've added some life back into it with the cultures. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. And I think we were talking about this before I started recording, but... um. Obviously, there's the shortages that people are experiencing throughout the nation right now. And I, I know that I've seen, well, I have a baby on the way. Congratulations. You're thank, at, thank you. Number one, baby number one. Baby number one. Oh, my gosh. How far along and, and when's it due? Uh, due September 25th. Got like another two months. Outstanding. It's going to be life changing. You watch. You oh, watch. Man. Already has been. Not even here yet, but. Really, really good. I'm excited. But, uh, Something that I was looking into, God forbid, uh, we weren't able to breastfeed for whatever reason, what would be the alternative? Because I know people are probably freaking out that they can't feed their kids with the shortages. So would things like either raw milk or goat milk be a substitute for human breast? There's a, there's a little bit of uh, conflict on this subject, but I will tell you my personal experience dealing with literally hundreds of people in the last 20 years on this subject. Mothers that can't breastfeed for whatever reason, uh, I'll divide them in two, ones that won't or can't, and those that are having difficulty doing so, uh, that want to. If they, the ones that won't and can't, that's a separate crowd, and we just, we'll just leave that alone. But the ones that are having difficulty creating breast milk that want to breastfeed, their breast milk production goes through the roof if they drink raw milk. Mm. Raw milk in makes raw milk out. Mm. My daughter, a bunch of her friends, people in LA, they, they started pumping, having a difficulty getting milk production up after a couple of months. They started drinking half a gallon of raw milk a day. Their milk production went up by like 50% very quickly. In every case, there hasn't been one that I, I've talked to that said, oh, my milk production, I engorged. So raw milk consumption by a mom to produce more raw breast milk is very, very successful. That's number one. Uh, whatever you can do, do your very best to make sure that the colostrum uh, the first milk is gotten to the baby any way you can, because that colostrum is not milk. It's actually antibodies. It's blood components coming directly from mom's bloodstream and her immune system. All the vaccinations she may or may not have and all your experience and everything is all there in the bloodstream. Those antibodies actually shifted into the lacteal, past the lacteal glands, into the tubules and come out 
of, of the teat of the teat or the, of the breast and the baby gets it. It's super important to get the first couple of hours or, or the first six, eight hours of breastfeeding. Any way you can do it, that's really important. And if you can breastfeed for a couple of weeks, that's great. And if you can't go beyond that, then that's just the way it is. Raw milk is the next step. It's been that way for tens of thousands of years. In fact, the Hindus said, the cow is the mother of the universe. And the story behind that is, if the mom dies, the cow saves the baby's life. And that can be done with goat milk or cow's milk either way. It's fine. Uh, you can do some additional supplementation. There's some things that are needed, like additional whey proteins and things like that, uh, which may be slightly deficient. But the bottom line is raw milk by itself is a very powerful replacement for human breast milk that pasteurized milk cannot do. Cannot do. In fact, the, the, the FDA and the CDC and everybody says, don't you feed any pasteurized milk to a kid prior to one year of age. And the reason behind that is they do not have the, uh, the developed digestive tract to deal with something that doesn't, it's not colon complete. Pasteurized milk is missing enzymes, missing bacteria, which make enzymes, missing all kinds of things that the body has to come up with. And raw milk does it, it's whole and complete. It's there, it's ready to break down and be immediately assimilated into the body and fully nourish. So I know Jordan Rubin, he wrote The Maker's Diet. He had twins and, his, and the mom could not breastfeed the babies. They went on whole raw milk from day one and thrived. Thrived. So I don't like to say categorically, it's the right thing for everybody because I don't want to deal with the exception that somebody said we had a problem. Babies have problems. But the bottom line is, my experience with all the babies we've known where mom couldn't breastfeed, they thrived on raw milk. So something to think about there. So ladies, if you're concerned that Walmart is out of the formula, <laughs> something to look into. We, we, we think that one of the reasons why our milk sales are through the roof in California is because of Abbott Labs' lack of breast, breast milk formula. And the mother's groups out there are saying, get that kid on, on raw farm raw milk. We can't come out and say that because mm -hmm. the FDA would say we'd be making a baby formula and that's illegal. Or you'd have to go through a process to learn how to do that and it's all pasteurized. But moms are getting together saying His, the kids, the kids thrive on this. They do great with it. And for the most part, I think that's maybe a little bit part of why our sales have gone crazy is because people can't buy supplement. They buy our rock instead and feed their babies and do great with it. Awesome. Yeah. So I know I got a backup. At least I like the raw milk. You got oh. it. You got a backup plan. <laughs> um, so say if, for instance, someone did cut out dairy uh, based on either their beliefs or maybe their physician had told them to do so. And they try out, raw dairy first time and it doesn't go so well. Have you ever run into that or did you say yeah, it's yeah. too much too soon? We have. And the reason for that is the, the natural human gut we have in America today is not what we had 150 years ago. It's a highly uh, changed set of conditions. We're born, lots of GMOs, antibiotics, lots of C-sections, no breastfeeding, sugar, very high sugar, uh, lots of preservatives in food completely decimates the lower gut. We have chronic, all kinds of chronic gut problems in America. Uh, celiac, um, inflammatory gut disease, I, you know, IBS. We've got Crohn's disease. I mean, it's just insane what's going on in gut. Chronic diarrhea, it's just a mess. So where we are today, it's gonna take a little bit of time to unravel and get back to something more normal and more natural and more healthy. So what we, we, we suggest is a whole food diet, kind of a, a more closely aligned with like the Mediterranean diet, 
which uh, has raw dairy in it, but it also has vegetables and has fermented vegetables. It's got a bunch of wonderful things in it. Um, and so it's been shown to be a very good gut recovery food. Raw milk kefir is pre-digested. It's pre-fermented. It's a fantastic gut recovery food. Avocados are great. Onions are great. There's a lot of these things that create uh, butyric acid, the lower gut, which builds that mucosal lining around the intestines, which is missing. Uh, mucosal lining, you have, the, you have the tissues of the intestines and then the bloodstream, but inside the tissue of the intestines is actually the mucosal lining, which is not really not spoken about much, but it's a really critical place that houses the biome, the gut bacteria that actually does the work to break things down so your tissues can absorb it and take it in the bloodstream. And uh, the, the tissues actually have leaky gut syndrome. There's a whole leaky gut thing where the, the pyrus patches are all open and big molecules get through. They're not supposed to get through. So you have all this undigested food getting into big pieces and causing allergies in the blood system because the body goes, oh, that's not good. Get it out of here. And lots of allergies and histamines. So we have a, a leaky gut problem with a lot of allergies uh, because the, the food molecules are too large in the wrong place. So if we can start rebuilding that inner intestinal lining, that mucosal lining, by consuming whole food nutrition and raw milk kefir and other whole foods that have been known to do a great job replacing that, you actually start protecting yourself. And, and closing up those leaky gut, uh, those pyre patches, uh, the, the loose junctions start to tighten up and your digestive tract starts to work. Allergies start to be reduced because molecules are not getting through the bloodstream without being fully digested. Uh, your enzymes are working properly. Your vitamins are being sim- uh, synthesized properly. Uh, you have diversity of bacteria giving you immunity from lots of things that might be a threat. It's just everything starts to work right. So I would suggest that America today has a screwed up gut big time. And if, you, if you've been uh, blessed to have a better gut, great. But if you don't, it's going to take a little while to walk back, especially if you're addicted to things like lots of sugar, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and uh, eating lots of uh, potato chips with DNA, uh, 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 GMOs and stuff that really screw up your gut with Roundup. So all those things are part of our addictive standard, uh, standard uh, American diet, the SAD diet, puts us in a place where we actually don't know anything better. So you have to kind of go to the farmer's market to learn how to eat. And you have to start eating whole food nutrition, less processed, no sugar, uh, well hydrated, uh, raw dairy, um, all these things that heal the gut. And then you start to walk back to a place where your gut starts acting like it's supposed to versus the way it acts in America today, which is not the way it's supposed to. So we have a whole problem with our gut just being messed up to begin with. So we have a lot of people in gut recovery programs to get back to where they should be, which is properly functioning. And that's your role as a health practitioner or help, helper uh, is to nurse people back to health and get their gut to function properly. And there's so much to be learned about the gut microbiome and the correct structure versus where we are today with mucosal linings missing and leaky gut syndrome. That's a subject to all kinds of problems, including pathogens, because of the fact that uh, antibiotics have torn up the whole the biological diversity and what we're eating doesn't support good bacteria, it supports bad bacteria. Um, we got yeast going crazy. I mean, it's, it's a real problem. And most of our market is based on people that want to dedicate themselves to a healthier future. And the fact that the gut is part is 80, 90% of a healthier future is having a healthy gut. So you pretty much just say it's like start slow because uh, yes, start yeah. slow. Start and I would start with, I would start with fermented forms. I would start with raw butter. I would start with uh, raw milk kefir with smoothies, with lots of berries and bananas and those kinds of things in there, raw, raw eggs, uh, avocados, 
all those things that smoothies are just delicious and are really, really good for good for gut recovery. But start slowly and get all that crap out of there. Take the antibiotics out, take all the highly processed stuff out, take out all the sugars. And this may, be, may not be easy to do. It may take some time to do that. But that's where you want to walk away from and walk into a world of whole food nutrition that's less processed without the sugars and let your gut microbiome start to work properly. Easier said than done. The much, easier, much easier said than done because we're addicted to what we do already. Yeah. And it's scary to go out of that. Maybe maybe out of our culture. Let's say you're fairly poor in a poor environment, whether you're black or brown or pink, I don't care what color you are as a person, but you may have a 7-Eleven store is all you got for food, right? You're really in a tough place because you don't know better and there's no place to do better. And everybody around you does the same thing. Yeah. So you're destined to a place that's not so good. And that's really one of the, I was talking about earlier about the social compact you have with our country. Mm-hmm. And Europe has this different relationship with the citizens than we have here in America, which is kind of an exploitive, kind of oppressive kind of thing going on, mm-hmm. where if you don't know better, you're just going to eat more worse and you got homelessness and unemployment and, and brain problems and all kinds of issues going on. Uh, that some other countries in this world just don't have or have at a fraction of what we have. And we need to redo that social compact. And that social compact is a reconnection with farmers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that because I used to do a lot of road trips and then on the road trips, I would go through these small towns and it's like, they don't have anything. Like all they have is a Burger King, they have a gas station. And if you grew up your entire life there, you would never know any better. How would you know? You're innocent. You would not know. Your parents are like that. Your relatives are like that. You're like that. That's what you are. Unless you really are stricken with the thunderbolt of brilliance somehow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet's a great place, but you got to be dedicated to say, I want to be different. I want to add the genome outside of the 23,000 that I was given from mom and dad. I want to add the rest of it and make my body work properly. And that means feeding it too. You can't just put the bacterial diversity and expect it to work. They starve. You have to have the, the food to feed that genome, and that's whole food nutrition. Sugar screws it up. Pasteurized uh, antibiotics, hormones, GMOs, and, and certainly preservatives intended to kill bacteria. That's why preservatives are in food, is to extend shelf life to kill bacteria. All those things are decimating the gut microbiome. Well, that's exactly where we are in America today. So to liberate ourselves and become really healthy, we have to reconnect back to the soil, back the farmers and back to whole food nutrition. And that is a big deal. And you said it, it's a lot easier to say than do. I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, going, since you just mentioned the soil, um, I've been reading lately, like the soil just doesn't contain what it used to anymore. So even if you're eating organic vegetables and fruits, uh, a lot of the minerals and the vitamins may not even be in there. So how do you address that with your Get to know your farmer, get to know your food. That's even harder to do, right? Because that means you got to go to some place and meet a farmer and you got to talk to him and you got to talk intelligently about, hey, what are you doing to feed your soil? Um, because it's absolutely true what you said. The biological diversity of the soils direct the vitality of those things growing in the soils. Um, you know, what kind of uh, manure composts are getting into that, that soil to, to nourish the microbes in that soil so the roots can be thriving and grow a good plant? Uh, versus chemical stuff that's just synthetically thrown on to get a plant to grow today. We're missing all the good stuff. Uh, Organics was born in the soils. Organics is a soil, whole entire soil concept. Fortunately, now with hydroponics taking over organics and organic soils not 
not being uh, managed as effectively as they envisioned should be, get to know your farmer, get to know your food. A little tagline that I have, support farmers, not farmers, and the latter being with a PH instead of an F. So. Farmers over pharmacies. In fact, there's a website that I've got. It's called pharmaciesoverpharmacies.com showing recovery from gut disease like crazy using raw dairy and whole food nutrition, including, including a young gal that was going to have, um, she had Crohn's disease. She was going to have a colostomy and poop in a plastic bag the rest of her life. And she said no to that. She started getting on to bone broths, raw milk kefir, avocados, smoothies, all kinds of wonderful things and she fully recovered in six months no more drugs and anything she's totally, totally normal life and she was having chronic uh like 20 bowel movements a day and pain and weakness and laid up in the hospital on drugs and all kinds of stuff they're going to rip out 12 feet of her intestines and put her on more drugs and she said nope and she dived into a deep nutrition program and fully recovered in six months the Tara Rosa story it's farmersoverpharmacies.com everybody's got to see it it's really really a powerful video of me interviewing her listening to her story and putting the dots together. And that her story is not singular. There's a bunch more people there uh, that share the same kind of story about gut recovery, helping asthma, allergies, and certainly uh, chronic gut problems like a, a celiac and, and irritable bowel and Crohn's disease. Hmm. Well, yeah. um, I was actually gonna ask, because I think it was right in the beginning of the episode or maybe before I started recording. Um, I think you mentioned something about babies and how their, their immune system just like, it's not there yet. So have you seen people from like maybe vaccine injuries or anything recover fully, like from just a whole foods, raw milk, let's, raw dairy let's, diet? Let's, let's look at this here. You got a baby inside of an amniotic bag, inside of a uterus in a mama, mm -hmm. being fed by an umbilical cord from a placenta, the mom and the baby don't share the same blood. They have different blood, but that the, the elements are transported across the placenta and the baby has its own blood type. The mom has its own blood type and they share across the placenta. Inside the placenta in the uh, amniotic fluid, there's very, very few bacteria. It's, it's not sterile, but it's really, really uh, a, pretty much a, a kind of a bag that doesn't have a lot of bacteria in it. It's a highly nourishing, salty solution of amniotic fluid. That's where your baby's sitting right now, swimming around saying, get ready to say hi to daddy. <laughs> so that amniotic fluid breaks and that fluid runs out through the, 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 uh, the birth canal. And the baby then with a the contraction of the mama push, is pushed out head first through the birth canal, out through the vagina to the, to the world. Through that, that space, the baby is exposed to the first bacteria of its life. That vaginal birth canal uh, bacteria is incredibly important to be slathered all of the baby into the baby's mouth. The baby takes its first breath. The baby gets put on the mother's breast and starts to suckle flesh to flesh. That's where the most modern birthing facilities should be doing in, in a non-C-section delivery. And the baby's all slathered with this mother's uh, mucosal uh, vaginal tract and starts to suck into its digestive tract the bacteria from mom's uh, birth canal, as well as colostrum from the mother's nipple in the breast. That gives the first inoculation of bacteria and food to feed that bacteria from the mother's breast. And that shapes the balance of the baby's life for the immune system structure. As the baby's only getting one thing, and that is raw milk from mother's breast, the baby shares bacteria uh, with the mother and the, the mother creates antibodies specific to the baby's needs for months 
It's a two-way street. The mother is an antibody factory for the baby and actually works with the baby, creating specialized raw milk in her breast for the baby. As the baby thrives on this mother's kind of, of a commensal mutualistic environment, this there's no longer a bull and bulk accord. Now it's the breast to milk bulk accord back and forth. The baby now starts to put everything in its mouth. It goes around and sucks on the cat's paw and eats the dog food. And, and, and you give them kisses and all the stuff that goes on in the baby's environment. They are just bacteria magnets. What they're doing is they're actually learning their environment and they're becoming adaptive to it. And they're building antibodies to whatever they come in, in, in contact with as part of the formative baby steps to create their own immune system because they don't have an immune system when they're born. They're very little. The bio, biological diversity of the intestine is nil. So all these things begin by that first passage of life. Birth canal, raw milk from the raw colostrum, and then raw milk from the mother's breast, and then other whole food nutrition the baby gets later, at six or five or six months later. So giving an antibiotic during that period of time is decimating. In fact, there was a 250% increase of asthma for life for every round of, of antibiotics given before one year of age. Doctors give antibiotics to babies like crazy nowadays. It's nuts. Now, that doesn't mean you don't take an antibiotic if it's really needed. It's going to save the baby's life. We get that. But why put the baby in a position which needs it to begin with? Needs it to begin with. Prevent so you don't have to have it. And uh, C-section deliveries, we don't get any exposure to mom's uh, vaginal fluids. And you don't get any, uh, any nursing. That baby is really prone to infection. Really prone, especially if the baby's a little jittery. Hypoglycemic, doesn't have enough blood sugar. What's the, what's the doctor do or the paramedic do or the nurse? They flush the baby with a bunch of D50, which is dextrose, 50% sugar. That flushes the gut with a bunch of sugar. And what do you know? Yeast starts to grow. You got a mess from day one. So antibiotics being given, uh, sugar being given, uh, uh, early, early vaccinations can really screw things up too because of the, the contents of the vaccination, which are not a natural process. I'm not anti-vax, but I'm actually act very much against early vax. You need to wait to allow that baby to develop the immune system so that when the vaccination hits, it actually has an effective response without really pushing that baby over the edge. You do 10 rounds of antibiotics the first year and you do all these crazy stuff without even an effective immune system, that baby's gonna have nothing but a mess on its hand in terms of trying to struggle to be normal. So delay, have fewer of them, only at the most essential. In Europe, they have 18 vaccinations from zero to, zero to 18. In America, it's over 80. Mm -hmm. We got an economic interest going on with pharmaceutical countries putting needles in kids all the time. It's not needed. What we need is a stronger immune system in children by good nutrition and nourishment. And that would keep us from having to have all these extra vaccinations. Now, I'm the first one to say that some of these vaccinations are very important. Smallpox. Those kinds of things, very important. But we're overdoing it by 10x, 20x. It's crazy. Let's build strong immune systems in children. And yeah, have a vaccination, but delay it. Let them build an immune system first so they don't react to it and have all kinds of brain fog and brain problems and autism and God knows what else comes out of that stuff. It's horrible. So we should be building strong immune systems first and then a little bit of vaccination later for those things that are really big threats. And Europe's shown the way. 18 to 20 is more than enough. We don't need 80. So that's where I stand on this, which I think is totally logical and totally defensible in terms of responsible protection of children. You start out with a strong immune system mm -hmm. and you build on that and you may need additional layers of protection, but I tell you what, you don't need 80 shots. It's just not necessary. And we've also seen children that have had vaccine injuries where they have a lot of brain fog and gut problems. 
do a very good job of recovering. And I'm not saying they come back 100%. I'm talking 80%, 90% doing really, really well. Uh, raw butter, raw kefir, those kinds of things, plus a whole food uh, diet. And, and you'll, you'll notice that I'm saying it's not just raw dairy. It's raw dairy plus a whole food diet because you're not getting everything from raw milk. Although you could survive wholly on raw milk. People have done that because it's a whole food nutrition. You can actually you can do pretty well with just raw milk alone. That's not what we eat in America. We eat other things, vegetables and fat, uh, you know, other things, fibers and fibers and vegetables and things like that. We have a whole rounded uh, food plate in America, not just raw milk. But raw milk plus a whole food diet will be highly structurally formative to create an immune system in the gut that works very, very well to protect you. It's like um, the way that you say it, it just makes me feel like the food is alive. Like it's literally yeah. alive. Yeah, well, your gut is alive. Your gut is a microbiome. Treat it with foods that would support it, nourish it. And those are whole foods, foods that feed the good bacteria and don't tend to feed the bad ones like yeast. Oh, those are actually not bacteria, but they're yeast, uh, fungi, uh, and other things. So you, 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 you eat the right foods, they feed the right bacteria. And you eat the right foods, you actually seed in the right bacteria, like Rama kefir is a fantastic feeding and seeding process to seed in and, and colonize the gut with the right bacteria. So the microbiome actually functions properly. It actually is a living environment versus a semi-dead waste dump. Uh, that's just inflammatory with all kinds of lesions and inflammations and ulcerations and leaky gut and a Crohn's environment, right? Yeah. That's what's going on. Almost treat it more like a compost pile instead of a trash can. <laughs> exactly. And a compost pile is one, is a, it's a mother culture kind of a humus creating uh, microbiologically diverse active environment that breaks things down into little things that you can absorb and use. A compost pile is exactly how you should treat your lower gut um, with whole food nutrition being the compost elements. Once I understood that uh, concept of like the gut brain access and realized that a healthy gut leads to a healthy brain, that made it so much easier for me. It's not even like temptations anymore. Uh, I may be stricter than other people. Uh, I don't even like cake. It's just me. I, I'd rather not because I feel like crap the next day and it's like that instant gratification, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I may be a party pooper to some people, but it just is what it is because it doesn't logically make sense to me. I know if, that whatever. If you're 95% in a great place doing a really good doing, you can actually have a little sin once in a while. I have no effect on you, but it's, it's the people that get off, get off the bandwagon that really have trouble. You've yeah. got to be 95% in this thing and you've got to be you got to be into it because you believe it and you want it. You want healthy children. You want to be healthy and live a long life yourself. Uh, you know, blue zones around the world that people live to be 90 to 100 years old without chronic disease. They give a lot of good examples of how we should be living in our lives a little bit more. Yeah. You know, blue zones have a lot of educational resource there to be actually to emulate. So I have one last question for you, Mark. Um, sure. And it just came up because... I imagine throughout my travels and could you ever see the raw farm milk or any products in those like really rural areas throughout the States? Like I imagine Tennessee, could you imagine it in gas stations or convenience stores? 
more not, than in the, not not in the next short while. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see them in gas stations uh, because it doesn't have a long enough shelf life, mm-hmm. and gas stations are just really kind of a snack place that are are frequented by people that are looking to get a little something to go on the way, some coffee or whatever. Uh, they're not generally where you're going to find your nutrition. Um, that said, that's a biased opinion that I have looking from my perspective out into the marketplace. Uh, our foods are found in farmers. Our, our food is found in farmers market on the farm and in nutrition stores in Sprouts Farmers Markets and Erwan and, and those kind of higher end places that people that care about nutrition go to find nutrition. But farmers markets, for sure, I can see that on the farm, for sure. And in the higher end or niche oriented places where are going to sell this because they sell a lot of it because that's where the consumers go to get it. The broader markets are starting to pick it up a little bit, but it's still not there for them. It's also not there for the farmer because it's hard to get into those distribution channels. It's really hard to get into that shelf space, which is dominated by the Walmarts of the world and the Coca-Cola brands and, and the big brands that just buy that shelf space and don't want to lose of it and are really aggressive in protecting shelf space. If you've got shelf space, you've got a place to talk to a consumer. And we have never bought shelf space at our farm ever. We have responded to consumer demand by saying, if you want our raw milk someplace, you tell the grocer to give us a call. We'll deliver it to them, but we're not buying shelf shelf space. And by the way, that's how every one of our stores has been created is you tell the store to call us. We call them back and then we deliver the milk and it sells like crazy, but it's been consumer driven, not store driven. So I don't know the answer to the long-term thing uh, with these, uh, you know, 7-Elevens and, the, and, the, and the, the, the little places you get gas, but the world's changing. Yeah. I think you're going to see hydrogen. You're certainly going to see electricity. Europe's got electricity going like crazy for cars. You're going to see uh, that it draws people in to have these kinds of products because they're looking for them. So you may not see raw milk, but you may see raw milk kefir smoothies because they have a much longer shelf life. And people, when they go to nurse their car with electricity, they're going to want to nurse themselves. So I see that with a longer shelf life, but still have all the activity of something raw being something happening 10 or 12 years from now, or maybe even later. I don't know. But I can see that happening uh, with people being aware and the awareness becoming more and more acutely important in people's lives that they realize that they know better. If they know better, they can do better. And when that happens, the demand will change and you'll start seeing products show up at places where people are wanting to nourish themselves. So I don't know what that all looks like. I just kind of see a foggy haze of maybe a reality like that happening. Mm -hmm. But I do know that the world's changing right now a lot, a lot. There's a lot of people pissed off. There's people that are upset with pharmaceuticals. They're upset with big uh, petrochemical companies and, and the issue of inflation is taking advantage of people and, and people are upset and wanting to find the truth and settle down and listening to influencers and Europe's got a thing going on and we don't and we got stuff going on they don't it's just the world's very very dynamic right now and raw milk's part of that dynamic change so it's making a very positive impact it's, it's changing farmers lives it's reconnecting them back to people it's funding them properly it's paying them well and consumers are getting tremendous value from it so that dynamic right there is very, very acute in its own change by itself. But more and more change, I think, is going to occur. And I think the more adaptive we can be and the more resilient it would be, the better off we'll be. The whole climate thing going on with, with the heat going on and fires going on, there's a lot of, of, of looking at ourselves 
and saying, wow, there's a lot of change. What do I need to do to adapt to this new environment? Because it's changing. Am I going to change or am I going to become extinct? So we have to look back to see Mother of Nature's blueprints to understand what we're made of to begin with, to understand how we can change and what change will be vital and important. Awesome. That's actually uh, one of the slogans that I have for this podcast is sometimes going forward takes uh, requires taking a step back and looking at what we already had because I feel like we were doing something right back in the day. It's just been ignored and kind of swept underneath the rug. So You're correct. You're correct. And understanding where we've been and uh, especially the genomics of the history of mankind and what's nourished us, what's what's built strong immune systems. Understand the most modern uh, pioneering science that we actually have now, but don't talk about because it's very inconvenient. Uh, bring that forward. Put that together with Mother Nature's blueprints all together. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how can we be a better human uh, with compassion, humanity, nutrition, genetics, all those things being optimized going forward versus just being oppressed, beat up, bunch of people are just trying to survive today. It's kind of boring, no? Pretty exciting world. Pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I don't want to live like that. No, no, I wouldn't want. I don't live like that. I, I rejoice in change, good change, and good change means being a little radical for good things. And it's not really radical. It's just different, and it's based on strong truths that are undeniable. They are literally undeniable. They're opposed by political forces because of economics and money. But they're true human need kinds of fundamentals. And when you know that truth, you get passionate, you're excited because it's reinforcing. It's not like selling snake oil. You run out of town because people are going to run after you because it doesn't work. You're selling a product, you're getting a product to humanity that works really, really well. And they come back immediately saying, I want a whole lot more because it works. That's a self-fulfilling cycle of life that's really sustainable and good. And that's what I'm involved in. That's what gives me the energy to get up every day and say, this is going to be a great day. Let's do some more of this. The truth will always prevail. Yeah, it will. It will. Yeah. Always comes out. Yeah. yeah when, we, when we were paramedics, we always kind of joked a little bit just to get over the emotion of it. Always say, yeah, bleeding always stops eventually. <laughs> <laughs> one way or another. Well, yeah, one way or another. Bleeding always stops. So, yes, sustainability, humanity, compassion, nutrition, um, having a different compact for how our society works based on mankind being important yeah. and nourishment and education and uh, all those things. So people have jobs, they have purpose, they have good genetics for the next generation, babies are nourished, all those things. We need to revisit that as how we have our civilization. It's really important to see examples around the world where it's done pretty well and where we're not doing it so well and the results are not so good. Yeah. Be the change you want to see, right? That's it. Be the change you want to be. You want to see. Be the change you want to see. Yeah, exactly. I think you're doing it, man. I love it. You went from uh, saving lives in one capacity to now saving lives through nutrition. I I see it that way, too. And it gives me incredible purpose to know I'm 60 years old and feeling great, healthy, uh, and knowing that for 17 years, I learned about kind of the underbelly of society and and, and humanity, uh, responding to everybody's 911 call. Uh, for better or for worse and whatever it was, it was ugly. And uh, there was a few pieces of pleasure delivering babies and stuff. That was fun and saving lives. That was kind of cool. But for the most part, it was kind of an ugly experience. But now we get to impact everyone holistically to prevent most of what I saw for 17 years. And that's really exciting to, to be part of that. Yep. That's your calling, man. I could definitely see it. 
especially right. with how passionate you are. All right. Awesome, Mark. Well, Mark, it was an absolute honor to have you on the show. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge and uh, where, where can people find you? So I know you have the Raw Milk Institute. You also shared um, the Farmers Over Pharmacy. That Did you say that was your website? Farmersoverpharmacies.com is my website. Uh, I don't have a lot of activity there. I it fits and spurts. I do like 10 or 12 really good video presentations there that are worth listening to. Um, Raw Milk Institute is basically a scientific place that I spend most of my time because we train other farmers around the world to produce raw milk like we do. We don't hold secrets. We share this with everybody. There's 32 farmers now across North America and Canada and, and UK and Australia that have been certified by Raw Milk Institute. We've trained over a thousand farmers. Not all of them got through our certification process, but they've all been educated and they're all doing a really good job uh, taking that next level to produce raw milk for humans versus the processor. So most of my activity is done kind of on the board of directors and kind of directing the fingers of how that whole education thing works out. Uh, through Raw Milk Institute. <clears throat> We've actually become the official uh, raw milk training agency for the state of Montana. Um, we are being uh, asked to do training for, for states that don't know anything about it. We've been asked to come in and do it as a nonprofit. So that's a big thing, Raw Milk Institute. And then Raw Farm USA is my for-profit thing that I don't really do a lot with there because I get in trouble with the FDA. But my daughter, Kaylee, <clears throat> runs all the social platforms and stays within the white line so we don't get in trouble with the FDA. But I do most of my radical work at the uh, farmersoverpharmacies.com and rawmilkinstitute.org. Uh, awesome. Okay, I, I love the radical stuff. <laughs> I do too. It's not really radical. It's just truth-telling and it's just education through using the best science. And it's all NIH. It's all uh, PubMed. It's not something that's outside of the, of the government's purview. They know it's there. They just don't want us to step on the pharmaceuticals toes and replace pills. Mm. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> oh. Mark, again, it was a pleasure having you in. Uh, definitely hope I can have you back on in the future. See what Please invite me. Please invite me. I never turn down podcasts. I think they're wonderful. Um, and uh, they're very important to have mentors like yourself taking this message and doing what you can with what I've shared with you and just doing better going forward. So thanks, James, for having me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, brother. Okay, bud. Take okay. care. You bet. Good night. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you found any of this information here valuable, I would love if you would share it. Share it with someone that you think would also find value in it or go ahead and just share it on social media. Show some love. If you tag me at King6Killer, I will reshare your story. I will reshare your post. And I would also love to hear your feedback. If you go to the backtohuman.us website, that is backtohuman.us, not .com, and go to the contact form, you can leave your feedback. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you would like to support the show under affiliations on the website, I have a bunch of products that I am affiliated with. Disclaimer, I will receive a compensation if you use my links or codes. However, these are products that I've used throughout the years on a daily basis. I only endorse products that I truly believe in. And these are things that have made a dramatic impact on my life. And I'm sure that you will see some improvement as well. So thank you again for listening to the podcast. Kill the day.